the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. You need only to call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And I understand it's raining a lot in some parts of our city. So if you are out there, the safest way to call from your car is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, a couple quick things scheduling-wise. Uh, give you the heads up for the rest of the week. Uh, tomorrow, we actually begin our men's retreat here at Calvary Chapel. It's not too late. If there's anybody in the audience that wants to go, don't worry about being around a bunch of strangers. That'll only be uh, true for a couple of minutes. Um, uh, you'll be welcomed and blessed. Um, you can go to calvarysa.com and get any details. We'll have a couple hundred men out there. Uh, Pastor Dan Lights from Calvary Chapel in Oceanside, California, is going to be our guest. He's also going to be uh, teaching for me this Sunday in church. We like to have the, the man who does the uh, retreats take over for the Sunday services. Uh, so that starts tomorrow. Check-in time is 5 o'clock. Um, Perfectly considered. We'd love to have you. And uh, if you come, just be sure you find out where I am so we can be introduced face to face. Tomorrow, of course, is Thursday. That means Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the show. And Friday, we'll be doing the show live from the retreat center uh, as we have done in years past. Uh, the guys there have some questions, but your phone calls and questions are also uh, um Welcome, and we'd, we'd love to have them. So uh, rest of the week's going to be kind of normal. Let me get to questions that have been sent in while we await any phone calls today. This first call, first question is anonymous. Now, I'm only going to read a little bit of this, and I'll explain why in a moment. Normally, this is the kind of thing that I would completely avoid because that's how silly it is. Um, but anonymous says, Sotoro... S-O-E-T-O-R-O, Barack Obama's other name, equals 666 in Hebrew, um, Gematria. Obama is a perfect candidate for the Antichrist. That man of sin, the son of perdition, the Antichrist is a personal, literal human being. And then he goes on to describe all this stuff. And he says, many other signs point to Obama. He's an excellent orator and charismatic world leader, which is exactly what the Antichrist will be. And then at the end, he says, there are simply too many things, and I've left out a bunch of the nonsense. Uh, there are simply too many things pointing to Obama to ignore. 
The video below explains the uh, gematria. Uh, starting around eight minutes, there's no need to reply to this message. I'm just a watchman on the wall sounding the warning. Now, the reason I kept this and wanted to use it today is because this is exactly the kind of thing that makes Christians look foolish. This is the kind of nonsense that makes the world look at us and just laugh at us. Uh, this isn't a watchman on the wall. This is just somebody who is uh, maybe a real Christian, who knows, but uh, he's just just being silly and, and nonsensical. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that, that we all, we who are believers, uh, we should ignore completely, have nothing to do with it, don't listen to it, certainly don't spread it around. This is the kind of nonsense that, that causes us to lose any and all credibility that we have. So if you're getting this kind of nonsense, um, ignore it. Don't give an audience to it for certain. Um, you know, you can find anything on the internet these days, and uh, it is a shame that we Christians are gullible enough to fall for it. So enough said. I don't want to give any more information out there about it. Just let's be reasonable uh, using our brains, and that is all nonsense. Let's go to our friend Jimmy on line one from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, sir. How are you doing? Doing well, Jimmy. Thank you. Okay. Hey, um, I'll be there tomorrow. Try to be there tomorrow. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. So, never been there before, so. Never I'm not a nature there. person. Yeah, I'm not a nature person, but I can promise you uh, uh, the work that God does at these things is an amazing, amazing thing to to watch. I was going to tell you that Sunday, uh, I went, actually I went Sunday just to pay my bill for the church, and I I stayed for the service. But then I I remember when y'all had communion, and I was going to take communion, and then I heard you say that something something about being dangerous or something like that. I don't know. I'm not saying mm-hmm. nothing, calling you out or nothing, but then I wasn't, I'm going to tell you the truth. My heart wasn't really in church that day. I wasn't in there in spirit and in truth. I was, I have so many things going in through my mind here. I'm trying to learn the word of God as hard as I can. And, uh, and then I feel like, and then you clarified it yesterday on the radio where you have these dreams and the devil beat stuff in your mind and all this so I was like very discouraged about a lot of things what's going on and I know I shouldn't be focusing on that I should be focusing on Jesus but as as a human being I'm like very uh, discouraged about what's going on in the world especially with human trafficking and and abortions and all that that really hits Mm -hmm. my heart really hard so you know and I guess I, I just kind of try to ask God, well, how do you want me to do this? How, how do you want me to, to fight this? Or how do you want me to do it in your way? And I know I want to do it with violence or nothing. I want to do it his way. But anyway, I, I was like, so I remember I didn't take the, I didn't do the communion. And I know that, I, I know that I'm a sinner, according to the Bible and all that. So I was like, I didn't do the communion. And because uh, my heart wasn't there at that day. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, Jimmy, Jimmy, I didn't want to yeah, be, let, let me address. Say, yeah. Jimmy, here's the thing. We're all hypocrites. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's none of us perfect. Here's, here's the thing. And I think this is really important, not just for you, Jimmy, but for, for other people as well. You know, uh, when Paul talks about, uh, he was writing to those in Corinth and he said that some of you, because you're, you're taking communion in an unworthy manner, um, he's saying some of you fallen, uh, uh, some of you are sick, and others have even fallen asleep or died. And and the idea is that they're trampling on the grace of God. That you're struggling isn't trampling on the grace of God, not not in any fashion or form. Now, Jimmy, I know you. The radio audience doesn't know you. They haven't seen you. You're a tough guy. You can tell you're a tough guy. You you grew up. You had to be tough. Well, this is when you need to be tough because the devil is lying to you and trying to rip you off. And to, to when we talk about taking communion in an unworthy manner, we're talking about people who are living in willful rebellion against God. Uh, that doesn't describe you. 
and and you're distracted. There's things going on in your life. You're having uh, dreams, nightmares, whatever it is. Um, um, th- that's when you need to fight the most. And the thing that we should all do is fight like crazy to get into the presence of Jesus. That's the spiritual warfare that you're experiencing. And the purpose of the fight, Jimmy, is to enable us to use the access that God has given us. And and by doing so, then and only then can we fight in the power that he gives us. And I think too often when we start thinking, well, I'm not perfect or I've got other things, my heart's not in it today. I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to fight in our own strength. And we don't have any strength. We men, we think that we've got to be strong. No, it's when we're weak that we should run to the presence of the Lord the most. And, and in particular, on a communion Sunday, there shouldn't be anything that you allow to rip you off. So if your heart's not in it, what you do uh, as the elements are being passed out is you say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. My heart's not in it, but I know that this is exactly what I need. And so by faith, Lord, I'm going to take uh, the elements and, and, and um, um, I'm going to trust in you to deliver me through this struggle or through this difficult time that I'm taking. Something else, Jimmy, that I think is important that you mention, all this stuff going on in the world, if we focus on that, then we're all going to get discouraged and, 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 and some of us even depressed because this world is crazy. It doesn't make any sense anymore. And if we're looking at that kind of, of of perspective, then the enemy is going to be there and he's going to pound you like you're a punching bag in a gym. So here's what we do there. Remember, part of the Bible study I did this past Sunday was uh, stewardship. Uh, each one is responsible for his or her own assigned task. And we're going to answer to God for our stewardship over that task. So here's what we do. Instead of trying to figure out how to fix all the abortions or to fix the human trafficking, those are things that God hasn't given you responsibility for. So the way that we do our part to advance the kingdom of God is to be faithful only with that which God has asked us to do. Whatever he asks us to do, he qualifies us to do, and he empowers us to do. And so what we do is we just walk right in the middle of his will, and we're faithful in doing that. Nobody starts out with world problems like abortion or or sex trafficking. You know, we, we don't do those things. What God does is gives you a little bit to be faithful with in your own sphere of influence. And as you're faithful in that, then he'll give you more. And he'll give you greater gifts and greater power. And and so many of us, one of the things I said in that Bible study, Jimmy, you'll remember, is that too many of us as Christians, we've got such a big picture view of things, we're focused on all the big problems in the world that we really can't do anything about. And we're ignoring the things that Jesus puts right in front of us and empowers us to do. So what we do is be faithful to do. My, my calling is to, uh, I, I'm privileged to be the pastor here at Calvary Chapel. I'm privileged to be able to do this radio program. Um, I've just got such a blessed life, but but it's not always easy. My heart isn't always in it. And it's in those moments when I have to run to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. And God will give you the power to do that. But when we withdraw, whether it's from the communion table or from what God has called us to do, or we withdraw because we're discouraged or depressed about the the world that we live in, then we're sort of abdicating our responsibility and we're going to lose reward for those in heaven. So here's what we do. We fight and we fight like crazy. And the way to do that, and you've heard me say this a million times, Jimmy, is just be with Jesus in his presence uh, is the fullness of joy, no matter what's going on in the world. But, but it's also true. In his presence is the toughness. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When I'm weak, then I'm strong, the Bible says. So we run into his presence and then we be obedient. Then we are faithful with what he's asked us to do. And that is the most important thing we can do, not only for our own well-being spiritually, uh, to, to engage the spiritual battles that are on, 
But it's what we can do to change the world, to have our little footprint on the world that we live in. And Jesus will just look at you and he will be so pleased and so proud. But we've got to stop looking at things that God hasn't asked us to do. I had a, a somebody who was critical of something I said about immigration. Well, well, don't you care about the laws? I said, yeah, I care about the laws. But, you know, I also care about ministering to my neighbor. My neighbor is anybody that he brings in front of me with a need, especially if that need is to hear about Jesus. And um, um, I, I had to tell him that I, I'm not being asked by God to solve our nation's problems with immigration. Now, I've got opinions. I, I'm, I'm all for law-abiding citizens. Um, I think we should either have laws and enforce them or don't have them at all. At the same time, that's not my assigned task. My assigned task is to tell everybody who comes across my path about the goodness of Jesus Christ and how life is available through Jesus Christ. And Jimmy, if you focus on that, then the other issues, uh, you're leaving them with the Lord. You're laying down those burdens, and he's the one who's strong enough to carry them. Finally, let me say this. Uh, you, you, you let yourself get ripped off Sunday. So here's what I would do. I'd get yourself a piece of bread or a cracker or something and a cup of juice And I would sit down and repent and say, Jesus, I don't want to get ripped off anymore. So I'm going to share in this body a cracker or a piece of bread that that is a symbol of your body broken for me. And with a grateful heart, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to take this cup, this cup that is a symbol of the new covenant written in your blood. You died that I could be free. And then partake. And um, you and the Lord can have it all to yourself. It'll be a very, very special time. Jimmy, God bless you. I'm really glad that you're going uh, to the the retreat. Oh, my, my producer is saying, you said you came to pay your bill. I hope you mean for the retreat because I don't want anybody in this radio audience to think that we give people a bill for coming to church here. So thank you, Jimmy. God bless you. Oh, three, four, Jimmy's been a caller on this radio show and he gets to the church as often as he can be, lives far away. Uh, And it's been really nice to watch what the Lord has done uh, in Jimmy's life. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Robbie. He said, Pastor, what do Jews do for sin since there are no sacrifices? Robbie, it's a good question. They don't really do anything. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which is the holiest day on the Jewish calendar, has basically been turned into a time of reflection. Um, They reflect on the sins. I had uh, one Orthodox Jew describe it to me as as, uh, visualizing that all of your sins are, are, you're casting them into the deepest, darkest ocean, and God is forgiving those sins. The problem with that is, um, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You know, we don't have the the liberty to simply say, well, without a sacrifice, um, I can do this or I can do that. So um, when they would reply, well, well, well there are, are no sacrifices anymore, um, we can say, yeah, there is. Jesus was the sacrifice for your sins. And it's an opportunity, Robbie, for us to tell them about the Messiah that they're missing on. So uh, they don't really do anything. Uh, there, there, There is no hint whatsoever in our Bibles that individual Jews get a pass. I want to say that again. Individual Jews don't get a pass because of where they happened to be born or to whom they happened to be born. They must know Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made that statement to Jews. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, the first four verses, Paul said, I'd give my place in heaven if only my brothers, the Jews, would believe. That's my paraphrase. That would be nonsensical if they just got to heaven because they were born Jewish. So they need Jesus, and we need to to respond to questions like this, Robbie, um, by taking the opportunity to share with them that there is one sacrifice 
You can go to the book of Hebrews and read it in language that every Jew would understand. Uh, He is the sacrifice delivered once for all. Once, not in the future, for all. And that means everybody has a choice. We can accept that sacrifice or we can reject it. And of course, the blessings or the consequences uh, are then ours to burden. Good question, Robbie. Thank you. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, here she says, how far should we go in trying to make right the sins we're guilty of with other people? Um, anonymous, I think we should do what we can. You know, obviously when we uh, we, we we sin against people, uh, I mean, uh, the people that I was so uh, horribly, I sinned against them so horribly before I was saved, uh, a lot of those people aren't still alive and um, others among them, you know, I, I, there's no way to to contact them. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I don't need to hire a private detective to, to try to dig them out so I can say I'm sorry. But in our day-to-day life, when we um, are, um, when we offend somebody, when we sin against somebody, then what we need to do is right that wrong before you leave your gift at the altar. Jesus said, go and make amends with your brother. Uh, and ask for forgiveness if somebody has uh, offense against you. Uh, and, and we need to make it right. Now, pride usually keeps us from doing that, but then pride is a sin. And so what we need to do is do what we can. Don't make it a legalistic effort. Don't um, let it dominate your life. Um, do the best that you can and always examine your motives. Always examine your motives. You know, Paula, some years ago, Um, she had somebody, a woman come to her and said, you know, I need to ask you for forgiveness. And this somebody had been to the church for quite a while. And and Paul said, well, well uh, you didn't do anything to me. I got, I've got no problems. And she said, well, well uh, I'm prejudiced and I hated black people. And, and, you know, Paula didn't need to hear that. She didn't know about it. So you don't need to share your thoughts with them. But when you've actually offended somebody with with an actual sin, then what you do is you need to go make it right. Now, let me say something to the men here. Um, I'm going to do a study tonight, 2 Kings. uh, I'm going to close chapter 5 and the first seven verses of of chapter 6. And one of the things that we, especially we men, have got to do is we've got to be responsible to take people who we've sinned against and make things right so that we can move on with Jesus. It's that simple. In our own homes, it's one of the places, time we talk about losing our edge, uh, in our own homes is one of the places that we lose our edge. And I don't know why it is, but we're, we're, it, it's harder for us to go say to our wives or to our children, please forgive me, I've been messing up. So we gotta, we got to make that right. That's what a man of God would do. So Anonymous, do what you can. And that which is, uh, it's too late, you can't do anything about it. Um, if the people are still alive, pray for them. Um, um, if you want, you can ask God for an opportunity to speak to them. Um, but th- the reality is, uh, sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. And our responsibility is to only do what we can. I had a phone call today from a man uh, who was in our church for for um, uh, a while, some time ago. And, uh, you know, I just love this guy. He's, he's, um, he was a wonderful contributor to the body, loved the Lord with all of his heart. Um, and uh, he called me. To, I mean, I had a really nice phone conversation with him. It was just delightful. And one of the reasons he called um, was to ask me to forgive him, ask, apologize for a decision he made that he now knows is the wrong decision. And you know what? I never, ever associated that with with anything negative. Uh, You know, we don't know what's going on in people's lives. But but wasn't it nice of him? Wasn't it godly? And wasn't it mature of him to call and ask for forgiveness? I mean, that's a man that's humble. And and, uh, it's, it's only through humble men and women that that God can really work, 
And and what he's done is he's he's just gone out of his way to make sure that there's nobody that has anything against him, that he's made it right. And and you know what? It was really nice. The nicest thing about the whole thing is the phone call just gave me an opportunity to check in again with an old friend. I mean, it was so nice that he called. I don't have caller ID and stuff on my phone because I don't I don't can't read it anyway. But so I, I picked it up and and uh, and uh, when he, when he said uh, uh, his name, um, his voice was instantly recognizable to me, and it just it was like my heart leaped for joy. So it's a, it was a good thing. So go that far, and you won't have any problems at all. We're inside one minute now, so I have time for another question for this half hour of the break. Let me give you phone numbers, 210-340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. And let me say this as we close out this first half of the program. Uh, What we want to do is take away every obstacle that keeps us from enjoying the fullness that God has for us. Take away every obstacle. God is eager. He's willing to forgive. And all we have to do is humble ourselves, and then we can immediately begin walking in the perfect, pleasing, acceptable will of God. Hey, 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show, 340-9585. Let's go to line one and talk with Jeremiah from San Antonio. Jeremiah, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Uh, amen. <laughs> yes, sir. I just had a question. Uh, it's not really a question, but I just want to see how you're going to answer it. Uh, it was somebody has commented on Facebook or made a post that said, Jesus is not God. He is the Son of God. God cannot die. Jesus died. Pretty simple explanation. And then somebody else shared the post saying plain and simple. So if, I, if you could just, for the audience, you could just kind of just... Show us, you know, what the scripture says, and uh, I'll just let you go ahead and have it from that, from there. Thank you, Jeremiah. I can do that. That's somebody who needs to read their Bibles. They need to actually open the Bible instead of making um, silly statements. Um, you know, uh, the, the kenosis, that's the theological term, the kenosis of God. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, um, explains what Jesus did. Uh, Jesus had two natures. That's very clear throughout uh, our Bibles and New Testaments in particular. He had two natures. He was 100% God, and you're right, the, 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 the people are right. God cannot die. Jesus never died in his deity. But he was also 100% human. And we know as a human, he did die. The evidence is overwhelming, and that he was also God was demonstrated beyond any doubt overwhelming evidence to support it, um, that he was God. So here's what we have to do. We have to deal with the two natures of, of, of Jesus Christ. He was God, fully God, but he was also fully man. It doesn't mean he was 50-50. It means he was fully God, 100% man and 100% God. And the reason he had to become 100% man was to identify with and then die for the sins of humanity. Uh, The blood of bulls and goats, Hebrews tells us, couldn't cover sins. That's why a man, that's why God had to become a man. That's why Mary had to be a virgin. Uh, There could be no sin nature. And Jesus lived in this life as a man. Philippians chapter 2 talks about unveiling his deity. And uh, he emptied himself, not, not not of his deity. He just veiled it. And everything he did on this earth, he did as a human, as a man. Depending completely on his father. Uh, you remember at the baptism, 
his baptism, the, the Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And Jesus walked this earth, Jeremiah, the same way you and I do, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So um, the people that say that are either um, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, or simply unbelievers. It's that simple. If Jesus isn't God, only God can forgive sins. We read that in our Bibles. That's uh, one of the reasons they were trying to kill Jesus, because he said, you, a mere man, make yourself equal with God, and only God can forgive sins. And they considered that blasphemy. Um, unfortunately, Jesus proved he really was God. So, Jeremiah, that's the thing that we need to to focus on. It's, it's, a, it's a sophomoric... Um, theological argument and the, the the people who would offer that argument don't really understand their Bibles or haven't even dug in to investigate. It's just one of the things. There, there's a lot of things that we can understand um, in in their fullness. We can understand the Trinity, um, three in one. Uh, you know, for us, one plus one plus one equals three, um, and, and people get freaked out over that. When we get to heaven, we're going to find there was no problem. One times one times one is one. One God present in three persons. The same thing is true with Jesus' dual natures. He's 100% man, 100% God. Final thought on this, Jeremiah. It's interesting that in the first century, um, um, in, in fact, not just the first century, but, the, but, but for probably the first three or four centuries, uh, the primary heresy was that that Jesus only appeared as a man, but he was God. There was no question at all about his deity. Um, the, the attack was on his humanity. Uh, they believed, the Gnostics in particular, that, that God could care nothing about what we did with the flesh. God is, is pure holiness, and, he, and, and it can have nothing to do with flesh. And so they would say Jesus appeared as a man, but he wasn't really a man because he was God visiting in that appearance. But but it wasn't really a man. So that was the primary heresy. Now we come 1,990 years after his resurrection. And the new heresy is that he he's, he was a man. Everybody knows he's a man. The evidence is overwhelming that he really lived. He really walked the earth. Um, but, um, you know, that's, but he wasn't God. He wasn't God. So that's the new heresy. So all they've done, the devil has just flipped things upside down from the very beginning. And it'll flip again if Jesus uh, tarries a, a while longer. But um, I wouldn't worry at all. The other thing, and Jeremiah, I, th- this isn't about you. This is just for everybody. Don't argue that nonsense with people on Facebook or other social media platforms. Don't argue. Don't engage what is to be gained by responding to those ridiculous statements that have nothing to do with your Bible or have nothing to do with what, what's true? So don't engage. Just, if you feel compelled to do something, pray for those people who are expressing those foolish sentiments. And then you can thank God that he's revealed the truth of who he is to your heart. Jeremiah, I know that you know who Jesus is. Thank you for calling, and we always look forward to your calls, Jeremiah. Here is a question from Martin. He says, Why did the devil and and Michael, uh, the archangel, argue over Moses' body? Uh, Martin, they both had plans for it. Uh, God had a plan for Moses' body, and the devil had a plan for Moses' body. Now, the devil's plan, if he could have found um, uh, Moses' body, uh, he would have made sure that, that the Israelites found it. They would have entombed it or mummified it, and they would have worshipped it. Moses was the most revered man in Israel's history. Unquestioning um, um, his his leadership. Um, and and so that's what the devil wanted. He wanted um, them to, to worship him. Of course, God had a different plan. Moses' body has a future reservation. He is going to be one of the two witnesses. Um, at the start, the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. And um, um, so God had a different plan. And whenever the devil and God are arguing, um, even though Michael was was God's emissary, God always wins that fight. So that's why they were disputing over Moses' body. 
Here is a question from Kenneth. In the Lord's Prayer, what is meant by thy kingdom come, come thy will be done mean? Um, Kenneth, it, 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 I, I think it's prophetic in part, but I think it's also deeply personal in terms of, of its, its value to us as, as a practical application. Um, when we say thy will be done um, on earth as it is in heaven, or thy will be done, uh, thy kingdom come. Those statements are simply um, statements of agreement. Jesus, you're coming back. You're going to rule and reign. Every promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, to Moses, every promise you made is going to be fulfilled completely. And your will is going to be done when your kingdom comes. And I think it's a an encouragement, an exhortation more, Kenneth, for us to look forward to the soon return of Jesus Christ. And the time is going to come when he will sit on David's throne. Um, everybody will then know it was always his throne, but David borrowed it for a little bit. And um, um, then God's perfect will, God's perfect justice is going to be uh, the, the signature for the, the the world and the people that live in it for a thousand years. His kingdom is going to rule and reign, and there will be uh, no rebellion against God. There will be quick and, and sure justice. Um, holiness will rule and reign. So that's what it means prophetically. Now, let me tell you, Kenneth, what I do with this part of the prayer. When I say, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, I always add, Lord, thy will be done on earth and in me. In me, Lord, make me, shape me. I want to be done, uh, or I want to do according to your will and your will alone. Thy will, not my will be done. So so I think it has an immense practical application. And Kenneth, when we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, remember, it's not really his prayer. It's a prayer that he's teaching his disciples a model that they can follow, sort of an outline. But but it, it's not something that we're supposed to pray repetitiously. You know, we, we memorize that, and almost every Christian has memorized the Lord's Prayer if they've been saved any length of time. But um, we're, we're to let that serve as an outline. In other words, um, let the Holy Spirit sort of put meat on those bones. Um, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give me only what I need today. Let me trust you for every need. So so it's just just sort of an outline. And if you really let those prayers be Spirit-led, Kenneth, the Holy Spirit will fill out those prayers uh, I, I remember it's been a long time now, probably 20 years or more since I first taught that here at Calvary Chapel. And it changed my prayer life. Uh, I mean, it was so significant to me, the work that the Holy Spirit did. Um, uh, I'm still benefiting from it. And yet, again, I want to remind everybody, this isn't one of those Our Father prayers that we just repeat over and over and over. There's no value at all in that. Good question. Here is a question from Lawrence. Um, he says, what is the most effective means of Bible study and what role should books by human authors play? Um, Lawrence, this, this is a matter of taste uh, more than anything else. Um, I'm always one that encourages people to read the Bible and get to know it a little bit before they start digging into commentaries. Um, Part of the problem is if we have our Bible open, every little question that we have, we're running to a commentary to get somebody's opinion on. And I think that sort of misses the point, the, the mystery and the wonder of Bible study. There are things that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you. So uh, I'll just give you my opinion, and, and uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people that would disagree with me. But I think the most important thing that we can do, especially as new believers, is to uh, read our Bibles. Just keep reading. Turn pages over and over and over. By the way, um, there's nothing wrong with electronic Bibles, but if you really want to, to remember stuff, get a Bible, turn the pages. Get a brand new Bible. You know the pages all stick together. They're really, really thin. And get enough 
skin juice on it that, that you know, you can start turning pages quickly. That's just use. Make notes in it and, and things like that. And and when you run across things that you don't understand, uh, I used to always have, Lawrence, a, a, a legal pad, an 8 by 11 um, a legal pad on my desk. I've got one right here by the, but for the show. But um, as I was studying, uh, whenever there was something that I really didn't understand, I made a note of it. And then I'd keep reading. I, I didn't demand an answer right now. I just kept reading. Uh, and, and typically, as I continue to read, uh, the Holy Spirit would, would shed some light on those questions. Sometimes immediately, other times it'd be three or four books down the road. Uh, I think sometimes we're too impatient for all the answers. It's one of the reasons that I never uh, recommend study Bibles. Um, you know, if, if the first top of the page is Bible, Bible, and then the bottom half of all the pages are study notes by the commentators, we spend as much time in what men wrote as we do with what God wrote. I don't think that's that's an effective way at all. When you get a little bit of background, a little substance, uh, foundation in the Word, then you can find some dependable commentators uh, and, and dig in. Uh, just dig in. For me, um, um, I was blessed by the Lord. I found F.F. F. Bruce, uh, who remains my all-time favorite commentator, um, John Stott, um, G. Gordon uh, Campbell, um, um, just just so many others. Uh, names escape at the moment. I can't think of when you need them, but but just tons and tons of them. Um, that that I, I could I could trust. The other thing in in learning uh, who you can trust with commentators uh, and who you cannot trust is God will really develop a sense of discernment. Um, I, I can I can find in in almost any book written by somebody, I can find within three or four minutes um, uh, the answers to whether or not this is a trustworthy source. And uh, that's really important. We, we've got to be discerners. We've got to be um, Bereans, rightly dividing the Word of God, studying to show ourselves approved. So um, I think that's the most effective means of Bible study. And then once you get that foundation, uh, find those dependable commentators. One other comment. Uh, Lawrence, I'm an inductive Bible study uh, fan as well. Inductive Bible study is just you and the Bible. Um you're 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 looking at texts, passages, and usually small ones. You know you don't like take a whole chapter in the Gospels, for example. Uh, you'll take a section. Jesus is talking about one thing. Uh, observe what it says, interpret what it says, and then apply what it says. And I again, I did that on my legal pad. I just wrote three columns on my legal pad. O, I, A. This is what it says, and and not everything is can be written down because, you know, some things aren't that impactful, uh, just by themselves. But but I'm taking statements, and I'll write it down, and then I'll say, okay, well, what does that mean? And then I'll interpret it, and then the most important thing about inductive Bible study is that it forces you to focus on application. What does it mean for me? This is what it says, this is what it means, but this is what it means for me today. Right now, I can use this in my life. So, I hope that answers your question. Um, nothing wrong with commentators, and I know a lot of my friends, and, and, and especially Calvary Chapel colleagues, who uh, just dig into to commentators and commentaries right away. Uh, I just don't think that is the best thing, especially when somebody's a relative new believer and they don't have a really great or strong sense of discernment uh, that early in their walk. Thank you for the question. Appreciate it very, very much. Miguel says, does your church support missions with your money, not just your prayers? Um, yeah, Miguel, I think we do. But you got to remember, every church has a different vision. Um, we are not currently supporting anybody who is a designated missionary to a foreign country. Uh, we've planted a bunch of churches in foreign country, and we support them when we can. 
um, uh, we've, we've provided those churches with pastors and in many cases uh, people to go with them. Uh, but but that's what our church is called to do, our emphasis on that. Additionally, we have a bunch of mission-type ministries here. Um, Miguel, I don't know how long you've been listening to the program. We have a free school. It's not just for people that come to our church. Um, uh, and, and we want unbelievers there. So that school is really expensive. We've been doing it now for 23 years, or this is our 23rd year. And... Um, um, we've got to um, be able to provide for that. We have a, a free family practice doctor's office, multi-medical, uh, here. And we've seen, I know, thirty to 40,000 patients in the, in the slightly more than 10 years it's been open. Uh, and it is 100% supported by the church. We don't take any money. We don't take insurance. Um, um I, I I had an appointment there yesterday myself, and uh, walking in there, I get to, to to pray for a man who's coughing his head off in there, and um, just oh you look like you're having a tough morning. Can I pray? And and it's only because I was there. But our doctors get to do that, and our nurses get to do that every day. So we're we're spending our money doing those things, and then there are a lot of other ministries that we have as well. Miguel, our radio programs go all over the world. I consider this not only evangelism, but I consider it missionary work. Um, the numbers of people that we have listening to this program overseas, um, um, not to mention other parts of this country, uh, is is uh, always amazing to me. So um, we do what God has told us to do. Um, those churches that support uh, missionary families, um, that's what they feel God has called them to do. Um, but we're not, um, in, a, in a technical sense or in a traditional sense, a missionary church. Um, our mission field is San Antonio, Texas and South. So that's where we're, what we do. Thank you for the question. Five minutes left in the program already. Here's a question from Bradley. Um, why was Timothy struggling so much that Paul had to correct or rebuke him? Um, Bradley wasn't really rebuking him. Uh, he was warning him. Uh, Timothy was a young man. Timothy, by nature, his personality was that he was timid. Um, uh, he was young, and so some of the older uh, men especially in, in Jewish cities where there were large numbers of Jews who were getting saved, uh, they could be very, very hard on him. And, um, and, and so Paul's just telling basically, my paraphrase would be, Timothy, grow up. I never told you this was going to be easy. I never told you that people weren't going to come against you. I did tell you that the enemy was going to come and he's going to use people. So you hang in there. And and I think rather than a, a rebuke or a correction, I don't think Timothy was doing anything wrong. I just think that that Paul was concerned. Timothy was his son in the faith. He said he has no one so like-minded or like-hearted as he who only has your interests or your welfare at heart. And so Paul was protecting him. And I think Bradley sometimes, and I'm I'm, I'm not suggesting that this is the intent of your of your question. But uh, every time somebody uses the word rebuke, I just think we Christians, we like that too much. I've actually had people tell me they have the ministry of rebuke. And I just thought, no, you don't. Nobody does. And when we correct people, we need to correct people in love. And we need to be sure that our motives are right. It can't come from a cynical or critical heart. So um, Timothy was struggling. He had physical issues. He was uh, had stomach problems. So Paul is just telling him, hey, um, strap in, Timothy. It's going to be a battle to the end. I told you it would be, and it's going to be, and there's work to do. And Timothy, of course, was sort of Paul's um, ears and his voice and his hands and his feet uh, in establishing churches. Paul would go to places and set up a church uh, he would make sure there was a good foundation and he would go on and Timothy would be left behind 
in, in many cases to make sure that the church proceeded. Timothy and Titus was another one, by the way. So not so much correction or rebuke as it was just, Timothy, here's the difficulty you've got ahead. It was a warning, be on guard. Final thought on that is that, that I have found that God only warns us about the stuff we need to be warned about. So take that to heart. Last question of the day. Daniel says, is the work of an evangelist and the work of the church the same thing or different? Um, Daniel, I, I, I think that the work of the church is sort of the, the big tent in, in doing the work of an evangelist. Paul tells Timothy, uh, preach the word, but he also says do the work of an evangelist. Uh, I think I think that the, the the work of an evangelist is under that umbrella, under that tent. One of the problems I think in our modern culture, we got a whole bunch of people who call themselves evangelists who are really lone rangers. They're not really under the cover of churches. Uh, they're not sent out. They just go out, and I think it's uh, it's difficulty. But but the work of every Christian, the work of every church, is to be evangelists. We need to tell people about Jesus and then we use the gifts of the Spirit that God has given us for different purposes, but but never ignoring the the need to be faithful as evangelists as well. Uh, the work of the church, uh, again, it's a bigger tent. There's a lot more going on. Um, at our church, we've got a street witnessing ministry. Uh, they're out in the streets. Um, uh, they're under my supervision, but I can't go with them. Um, but but that's just one facet of the ministry that we have here. Um, and, 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 of course, there's a lot of other ministry that goes um, on at the same time. So, Daniel, I hope that helps. Hey, remember, tomorrow Paula will be here in the studio, the day-to-day edition of the program. Our men's retreat starts tomorrow. We would covet your prayers. Registration at 5 o'clock. The Alto Frio Baptist Conference Center in Lakey, Texas. We'd love to see you. You can still register online at calvarysa.com. Hey, God bless you. I'll be back tomorrow. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.